Hello, and welcome to This Thing Called Life, a podcast dedicated to sharing stories about acts of giving, kindness, compassion, and humanity. Your host, Andy Johnson, will introduce you to powerful stories about organ, eye, and tissue donation from individuals, families, and healthcare teams whose experiences will inspire you and remind you that while life is hard, unpredictable, and imperfect, it's also beautiful. We are so happy you're here. Now, let's join the show. Welcome everyone to this thing called life. I'm your host, Andy Johnson, and I am so excited to have you here with us today. And I hope everyone is staying safe and healthy and hopefully enjoying some sunshine now that we've kind of gotten past Nomageddon, but also just keeping the folks in Texas, the great state of Texas in our thoughts and prayers as, you know, they are beginning the recovery from the devastation of those snowstorms. So just thinking about everyone in Texas at this time. So we have a great, amazing guest with us today. Um, He is in very high demand. So I'm just super happy that the stars aligned and we could uh, spend some time with him. Uh, He's very busy and you'll get to hear more about why he is so busy and also his role in donation and transplantation. I also wanna remind everyone that March is National Kidney Month and April is National Donate Life Month. So this is a great time just to listen and learn more about donation. Uh, You can always check out our past episodes of of this thing called life. There's a lot of great information in those episodes and subscribe. Um, And you can find us on any uh, platform that you would find a podcast. So look for those. And also just a great time to learn about kidney disease, diabetes, hypertension, and and other conditions that can often lead to dialysis and the need for a kidney transplant. And also just learning about gift of donation in general and how it can help so many people in need. And you can always register to be an organ, eye, and tissue donor at lifepassiton.org. Um, or do some research um, and learn more about living kidney donation because you can absolutely help someone else in need. So with that, I would like to welcome uh, Dr. Madison Cuffey to the show. Hello, and thank you for being Hi, here with how us. how are you? Thank you. Thank you, Andy. Thank you for uh, having me on your show. And uh, thank you to everybody out there. And I agree with the comments made. You know, obviously my thoughts are out there for everyone in, everyone who's Recovering from this COVID pandemic, still in the COVID pandem- that pandemic, those who've lost loved ones, and obviously my thoughts and prayers with uh, everybody who's out in Texas as well. Yes, yes. So Dr. Cuffey, uh, let's tell our guests a little bit about yourself. How, how long have you been in medicine? Okay, so um, I'm Dr. Madison Cuffey. I am uh, the, an associate professor of surgery here at the University of Cincinnati. I'm also the kidney director at uh, the University of Cincinnati. Um, I've been in medicine while well, my journey started, uh, starting back in 2002 when I was a medical student. Uh, sorry, 2002 when I was a resident in uh, general surgery and uh, eventually did a transplant fellowship at New York Presbyterian back in 20, 2010 to 2012. And I've been here in the lovely Cincinnati for eight, uh, 2012 till now. So nine years, nine years now. How are you so, liking it here? I, I love, I love, 
I love the natty, as we call it. Natty. <laughs> the natty. Um, I grew up in Brooklyn. Um, I used to listen to someone named Talib Kweli. Yes. Um, and um, I always thought, I, I just loved Talib Kweli. And um, most, and it was most deaf. Most deaf. High tech. Uh, high tech. Who's from Cincinnati. Yep. So I would always hear, you know, Cincinnati, Cincinnati. So um, it's great to be here. It's been wonderful being here. Well, good, good. And I can notice a little bit of that, that accent is still with you, that Brooklyn accent. <laughs> I'm always going to be a Brooklyn boy. Boogie down Brooklyn. Boogie down. Well, they say boogie down the Bronx. Boogie, boogie down, down Bronx. Bronx. That's right. That's right. Look, I messed that all up, but yeah. That's okay. Boogie That's down okay. Bronx. So how did you, how did you choose transplant as your specialty? Well, you know, it, this goes back um, a long time ago. My journey in transplant started um, when I was 14 years old. Wow. Um, at that time, I was volunteering in a hospital. And at that time, I was just, you know, trying to, that was my grandmother's way of keeping me off the streets. Um, so I was involved in a lot of activities. But one of them, I volunteered in a hospital, and I happened to be cleaning instruments um, where we'd autoclave them, you get the surgical instruments. And one day a nurse walked in and she said, what are you doing back here? I said, well, I'm a high school student. I'm just trying to stay off the street. And she goes, listen, come into this room. There's a doctor doing a kidney transplant and in room, whatever it was, room 17 for my, wow. for, but it was just a room. So I walk in there and you know, I'm stressed out. Don't touch this. Don't touch that. But I watched them perform this kidney transplant. Um, fast forward two years from that, a year from that point, I ended up doing summer research in a lab and it happened to be in this transplant surgeon's lab. So wow. I, I feel this was a divine intervention. He sort of brainwashed me into believing that transplant was everything. Um, and then I walked out <laughs> Uh, what from the age 14, 15 saying, I want to be a transplant surgeon. Wow. And um, I mean, my family had, was not involved in medicine. They had no clue. They, even to this day, they have no clue what a transplant surgeon does. Um, they just figure it sounds important. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what you do. It just sounds important. So that's, that's where it started. It all started from, and, you know, fortunately, I've been meant, I was mentored by that same transplant surgeon who happened to be African-American and uh, that, that was all she wrote. Wow. Wow. That, that is a really interesting path to where you've arrived. I know. I know. So growing up, obviously you're African-American. Let's talk a bit about, did, did your family talk about being an organ donor, were there myths or misconceptions that your family may have had about donation? Yeah, so I, I could talk about this from both sides, um, the donation side and, of course, from an access side, access to transplantation. So my family, I was born in the Caribbean. I didn't, I didn't grow up with my parents. I grew up with my great aunt who lived here in the U.S. I left I left my parents on the island of Dominica after a hurricane destroyed the island. So wow. I grew up with my great aunt. 
And I will tell you that growing up, there was never this idea of donation. I, in, in fact, many of my family probably have seen it, but again, there's a lot of misconceptions. And I've talked to my cousins sometimes about it. One, one common misconception, and I've heard this when I was growing up, is that, well, if you're an organ donor, are they really going to take care of you in the hospital? And that's always a subtle joke, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> organ donor, you're going to come in and right. the, medical, the medical community won't do what needs to be done. Um, so organ donation was not really talked about much in our family. It was always seen as a taboo. Uh, mm -hmm. th this is not something you do just to do. I registered to be an organ donor after I obviously being in transplant, but after kind of just going at, at how you can help someone else, even though you have this time of despair, how can you help create life? So I, I read about the whole donation process when I was, when I got my um, driver's license, which was in New York, you don't drive till you're a little bit older. Mm -hmm. So I was about 21. And, um, I figured that was the best time to kind of read up on organ donation. You know, I had this inclination that the, the medical field was not out to get me. Mm -hmm. That means that if I went into the hospital, they took care of my needs first. They tried to save your life. That's what we try to do as, as physicians in our mission to medicine. And if it was at the point that they could not um, save my life, then Obviously, I, I'd want to help create life or extend life to someone else. Right. There's so many people, though, out there. And I think we're, you know, that that's it's distrust has been just a constant in a lot of a lot of um, individuals minds. And I think now we're seeing it kind of coming back up again as we're talking about this vaccination uh, for COVID-19 and just there's a lot of hesitancy, again, a lot of distrust. Yep. And the fact of the matter is, is it's people of color who are being impacted the most by uh, COVID, as well as those in need of kidney transplants. It's, it's people of color. And so it's really tough just trying to kind of bridge that gap and helping people understand, you know, why it's so important and how you know, information really can help people understand, you know, the necessity of, of taking care of themselves and, and doing these things. And, and to that comment, I, I, I do feel a lot of, there's a lot of information out there mm -hmm. and a lot of information that you look at that some are reputable sources and some are not. Unfortunately, they're not. I think one of the issues, and this is one of my one of the things that I've, I've always believed, that's why you always need diversity in, 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 in everything, because I think there's, to address the concerns of the people who feel like, listen, I don't believe this information, is who's passing on the information. Mm -hmm. I had the same issue with my family. I got called by my sister who said, hey, listen, are, are, you, are you quacking like a duck yet? And I said, what do you mean? She said, "You well, you got the COVID vaccine. You know, are you growing anything? Are you have a third eye. <laughs> are you growing a third eye or something? What's going on?" And and I said, "Well, you you have the most." I said, "Listen, 
Dr. Anthony Fauci is probably one of the most respected physicians in the country with regards to this information. And, and her point was, I don't, I don't really care what Dr. Fauci says. Mm. I want to hear it from you. And it made me realize, yes, she's my sister. Mm-hmm. Maybe she values my opinion. I'm no Dr. Fauci by any means. But, but it made me realize when yeah. you look at these disparities in this information, it's who passes on the information. Mm-hmm. And when you look at, especially amongst our communities, especially with regards to COVID, it's reaching out there and passing on information that is helpful. Yes, our communities are impacted the most. Our communities, you know, I'm from Brooklyn. I go back to Brooklyn a lot. You read about the COVID vaccines in New York. Well, where's the greatest? They, they have the most trouble in the African-American communities getting people vaccinated because many people just, again, historically, Tuskegee, lack of care, distrust in the, in the, in the medical process. You could talk about kidney transplantation and people being on dialysis for so long and not being given the opportunity for the access to transplantation. And all of these come back into play and eventually people just distrust the whole system. Right. So obviously for those listening, I had the COVID vaccine, I'm doing well. Um, it's, it's been very impactful to our communities and I, I do recommend it to everyone. Mm-hmm. I know there are certain concerns. And to just, just to go back to those who think about being, are thinking or considering this organ donation process, it's very serious. There's over 100,000 people waiting on the waiting list as we speak. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and when you look at the actual statistics, there's, I think, 20, 22 patients die per day waiting for an organ transplant. Yes. Um, this is something we can do to help everyone. And it's not a matter of you're going to go to the hospital and they're going to look at your ID and say, oh, they're an organ donor. Just let them, we're just going to wait for their organs. That, that does not happen. Right. And obviously, um, our local organ procurement organization does a great job in talking to families and guiding them through the process as well. well thank you. So, how, so are, you, are you kidney only? Is that your specialty? Well, I do all, I do all the organs. Okay. However, my focus lately has just been primarily on kidney transplant, although I do all the organs. Okay. I do dialysis access as well. Okay. But 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 kidney transplant will always be sort of deeply rooted to me for a lot of different reasons. Mm-hmm. Issue number one: if you look at the amount of individuals who are African American who develop kidney disease, it's rampant in our communities. Diabetes, hypertension, obesity is rampant in the African American community. And, and that's what attracts me there. Mm-hmm. The second issue is there's an access problem, meaning getting patients from dialysis who eventually go on to develop dialysis to places where they could be transplanted. My uncle in Boston was one of them. He passed away. He was on dialysis for years. Now, there were issues. I'm not so sure he was the greatest candidate for transplantation. You know, did he take all his meds? Maybe not. Um, 
But I remember when I was in Boston one year, he said to me, um, I'm done. I'm done. I, I'm, I'm tired of dialysis. And he eventually stopped going to dialysis and he eventually, he eventually died. But I, I think that's why it's, that matters to me. And, and, and because I do so much dialysis work, mm-hmm. for me, there's nothing better. There's no better enjoyment in, for me or fulfillment then taking that patient on dialysis, getting them transplanted, seeing them out somewhere and them and, and having them say to me, hey, do you remember me? And I say, I have no clue really who you are, but 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 them just saying, hey, thank you. I'm off, you know, I'm off dialysis, or someone just saying, hey, I mean, there was a, a barber the other day in Newport, and uh you know, someone came to me in a hospital and said, do you know this guy? And I said, yeah, I have an idea who he is. And he said, listen, he told me to tell you thanks. And and those are the things I-, I Wow. Yeah, I, I interviewed a guest a few weeks ago and I was actually kind of previewing that I would be interviewing you. And then as we started talking, she said, he actually did my kidney transplant. <laughs> <laughs> So, so you're very well known, (laughs) (laughs) which is a good thing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. How many transplants do you, would you say you perform over a month's time? Wow. Over a year, I perform about 70. So about six a month. Okay. Okay. Obviously we have two programs that does kidney transplant here in Cincinnati there's a University of Cincinnati that does anywhere from 150 to 170 kidneys mm-hmm. a year. Then you also have the Price Hospital, which does anywhere from about 50 to 60 kidney transplants a year. So in the city of Cincinnati, we're all one group, one right. big. So we do approximately 200, 200 kidney transplants in the region. Okay. Now it's, I know that that's how Cincinnati operates as one group. Is that kind of the standard in other cities? No, different. Every, every place is different. Okay. Every city is different. I came from, you know, again, I I hate to bring up New York. Some people like, oh, he always talks New York, (laughs) York, but in, in New York, there's one, two, three, four, five, about five or six kidney, maybe even seven or eight kidney transplant programs, all within the city, each with different surgeons. Um, so here in Cincinnati, it's a unique situation. Okay, okay. So what has transplant been like during the pandemic? Oh, <laughs> well, <laughs> I will tell you, let's debunk a few myths. There. Okay. Because one patient brought it up to me and said, Dr. Cuffey, you know, yeah, you're a busy guy. I know you were busy during COVID. All those donors. Well, the reality is that um, we did not utilize any donors who were COVID positive at the time of the pandemic. Right. With that said, we were still doing kidney transplants and liver transplants, pancreas transplants during that time frame. When an organ came up, we took the advantage to do the transplant, and actually, we did it very safe. Uh, during the pandemic. So meaning that patients came into the hospital, we checked them for COVID, we transplanted them, we made sure that we we had them isolated, we minimized our teams that were rounding on them every day. 
and they made it out of here. And the majority of them made it out of here without ever contracting COVID. There was a lot of myths, right? You go to the hospital, you're going to get COVID. Well, this, we, we did the transplants and many people got transplanted. From a, great. from a surgeon side, though, I think what was hard for me, and this is something that I struggle with, in transplantation, we create life. Mm. And at the time of the pandemic, there were so many people affected that, that did not make it. And um, I think it's, it's still surreal to me a little bit that mm -hmm. while one thing was going on, you were out there trying to work to still continue to, to, to create and, and extend life. But, but it does come at a, you know, that internal conflict that, listen, wow, there's, yeah. you know, I mean, the latest number is greater than 500,000 people. It's, it's tough. It was tough as well. But, you know, for the patients on the list who could be transplanted, I'm, I'm glad that we were able to still transplant them. Yes. Yes. Do you also facilitate living kidney donation? You yes, I do. Okay. In fact, in fact I, I will tell to everyone on this who's listening to this podcast, I always tell patients when they walk into my office, the best thing, the best opt the optimal treatment for, for end-stage renal disease is a living donor kidney transplant. And there's a lot of reasons why I say that. Number one is these kidneys on average last about 15 to 20 years. You don't have to wait on a list to be transplanted. And the third is the quality of a living donor kidney is very good. We're mm -hmm. not going to, you know, we, we do our whole screening process here at UC at, at the Christ Hospital is to ensure that you know, you're, you're healthy and you're otherwise fine and able to donate without any risks affected with the donation process itself. So living donor kidney to me, if I, if anyone walks in the office, I, I tell them it's like me walking into my financial person's office. I hope they tell me diversify my portfolio, right? Um, try to save money, cost cutting, if someone walks in with ESRD and I see them for the first time, and we're talking about transplantation, the best that they can do, the most, is to look for a living donor kidney, a living donor, um, to try to get a living donor kidney transplant. And you know that you bring up an excellent point. And one of the things that I've just come to observe during my time at Life Center is the tendency is that a lot of times people of color don't want to talk about it. You know, they want to just kind of keep the fact that they need this to themselves. And I'm, you know, I, I try to just express as best I can, just how important it is to just share, you know, share your story, share your reality, because that ultimately could lead you to find finding your, your living donor. You know, you don't need to suffer in silence. You don't, you know, you don't need to act like nothing's wrong, but I don't, and I don't know why that is. I don't, you know, but it, it's been tough to see because I, you know, I've known people that have passed away just as a result of not receiving their transplant. Yeah. I think that one's difficult, Yeah, you know, but, but, and, and I, and I kind of get it, you know, it, it, it's hard. It is hard when you think you have all these 
there's a lot of socioeconomic issues that boil down to behaviors as well, right? That, that puts behaviors into perspective. Mm. It's hard when you have all these issues that are underlying these socioeconomic disadvantages overall to then go out and say, hey, I'm going to share my story because sometimes it, it's not like you feel like you're being frowned upon. Yeah. Uh, I do tell patients, though, that they need to tell their story. But another thing that I, we talk about when they come in, come in to our transplant center is they need a, live, they need a donor champion. Yes. Someone who's willing to share their story. Um, the squeaky wheel gets the oil. That's, we all know, we've all, my grandmother always said that the squeaky wheel gets the attention, gets the oil. Right. And sometimes it, all it comes down to is someone sharing your story. And, and again, sometimes it doesn't have to be that individual because, you know, as I say to many of the patients, when I sit in front of them, my, my mom was always like our sort of champion for anything in the family. So if one of my siblings needed something, she would always come to myself. Now I have to interpret that information and I could say whatever I wanna say, but it was never to that individual. They didn't have to hear the information. That, that champion is going out and sharing the story and whatever is said back to that donor champion it has no bearing on that individual themselves right. who needs the organ. Right. And sometimes what you realize is that sometimes it's better shared from that champion standpoint to say, hey, listen, you've got to think about this and this is what they're going through and this and that and that. And then you're like, okay, you know what? I got questions. And, and these are the things that I think everyone needs to hit. You need a champion. Yes. But I think you have to share, whether it's Facebook, Facebook, you know, all these other sort of social media platforms to let people know what you're going through. And you're Absolutely. not going through it alone. And you're not going, they're, they're not going through it alone. Right. Because the, there are people that, that unfortunately share their story. And, you know, they're the ones who have donors who step up who mm -hmm. they didn't even know. So. Right. Right. I think that's such an important point to make. So, what advice would you give to a patient on how to most effectively communicate with their physician? Because I think sometimes you people feel intimidated or feel their question may be stupid or, you know, it's just it's kind of like that power position, if you will. And, and people, again, will just kind of keep things to themselves. How, how best do patients advocate for themselves? So uh, there's another thing that I believe in, just like there's literacy, there's financial literacy, there's healthcare literacy. And I, I do think some of the ways in which to talk to your physician, I, so I, let me step back. Mm -hmm. the, first, the first thing is to I think always find ways to educate yourself. And that's, that's, that's always a little tricky. And so I always tell my patients that, listen, no question, and again, that's me, no question is ever 
too, what I quote unquote, stupid. There's no such right. thing as stupid. You can ask it, ask away. Right. I'd rather you ask me and I give you a fair share of what, what the honest opinion is or the answer is, then you go look on some website that's going to give you something and then you start running with it. Right. But, but the reality is, I think number one is whenever something is said, one thing we should ask is how do we find out more information or what's a good source to look at mm -hmm. regarding this? The second layer is just to say to your physician, hey, you know, if I have any more questions, how can I best or who should I reach out to to help address these questions? Mm -hmm. Because I get it. In the office, you're hearing a bunch of things that are going through. You, you don't know what to make of what. And you're like, wait a second, I don't, I don't, I don't understand, but you know what, I'm not going to say anything. But I do tell my patients, you do need to speak up and just say, hey, listen, can you simplify this for me? Yes. Break it down for me a little bit. Um, yeah. I try to talk to everyone. Sometimes, you know, things will come out and then sometimes people will say, oh, you mean this terminology in medicine? I'm like, wait a second, are you a nurse or a doctor or something like <laughs> Oh, yes, I am. Okay. Now, right. <laughs> right. But, but, I, but, I, but I do think sometimes what we do need to tell all the physicians are, hey, listen, physicians or medical care personnel, and I tell every patient, just ask the doctor, hey, can you break this down for me? Mm -hmm. Or how can I get more information mm -hmm. and read up on this? And I, I, I think that's one big issue that that's there, especially in the African-American community. Uh, I'll tell you, it's hard. I, I, I've been to doctors too, right? You don't ask any questions. You're scared to ask questions. You don't know how to ask questions. You, you, you think they're going to judge you in some, in some way. But I will say for many of my patients who are literate with regards to healthcare Right. In general. This doesn't mean, and to the speakers out, to the listeners out there, I'm not saying you can't read. You can, we all right. can read, but just it's healthcare word, literacy. Healthcare literacy. I love that term too, by right. the way. <laughs> no, they will ask the questions and yeah. sometimes they'll say, Hey, well, why don't why can't we do this? And then I'll have to say, No, 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 no. You know, this is why we, we're not going to do this in this situation. Mm -hmm. Um but I, that's what I would tell everyone out there. Don't be afraid to ask questions. Right. And, and another point, if your provider cannot answer that for you or is too busy, you know what? Maybe you need to think, I'll be honest, about finding another provider. Right. And I, I say this to, to everybody. And I say it to my grandmother's 100 and going on 105 from the time she was 100, I said to her, listen, oh, well, I can't ask. No, no, no. You can ask a question. Yeah. If they can't, if they don't have the time to answer it or at least say, hey, listen, you know what? I'm going to call you and answer these questions. Right. Maybe, maybe you need to find a different provider. Right. And um, that's OK. And that's OK. Yeah. And that's OK. Yeah. That's great. What's most rewarding for you in the work that you do? Wow. I, I think every day to see someone transplanted, probably the most rewarding. Mm -hmm. 
but I but I will say something else. I that one is the most rewarding because that happens the majority of times. I think the most rewarding is when someone walks into my office who feels like, listen, their life is over. They've got hit with this kidney, this diagnosis of kidney disease or ESRD, end-stage renal disease. They walk into my office for an access or some sort of creation, some sort of dialysis modality. And I could talk to them about transplant. And then months down the line, they walk in for a kidney transplant evaluation and they get transplanted. That is the most rewarding mm. because I think you you took someone who was in despair and you've transplanted them. But, but that's not the only feeling that makes me feel good. It's when they finally reach out to me and I get letters and cards from people who will say, hey, listen, John, you know, as you know, John was transplanted months ago and they show, say they show themselves fishing or doing something that matters to them or being, yeah. you know, I had one of, a, of someone I transplanted last year who his daughter was his donor and wow. he walked her down the aisle uh, yes. during the wedding. And that, that to me is the most rewarding to see them together. I mean, I, I kept the card and I said, wow, this, this is what's, this is the most rewarding thing to me. And I, I think giving the gift of life to any, for anyone who gives the gift of life and me being able to participate and them giving the gift of life and seeing the after effects and just someone living on a standard normal life mm -hmm. is what, what brings me the most reward. So when you're having a tough day, do you do you bring out those notes and photos just to kind of remind you, get you back? Yeah, you know, I'll, I'll tell you, sometimes, you know, not every transplant goes 100% smoothly. Yeah. Sometimes, and that doesn't mean anything bad happens, but right. sometimes you have your days right. where, you know, it's, it's tough. You know, transplant is a is a demanding field. You're doing these transplants. You're helping out everyone. Someone comes in because they have a, you know, maybe a rejection or something like that. But it's at those moments where somebody says, you know, sometimes it's my own patients. I was rounding one day and somebody just said to me, doc, don't let them change you. Don't, don't let them change you. You're a good guy. I could see it. Mm. And it was something that my grandmother used to always say to me when I had a tough time, baseball, you know, baseball game doesn't go well. You're trying to get angry. You get, and she said, listen, don't get upset. Don't let them change you. Just be who you are, mm -hmm. be who you are. And a patient said that to me just last week, again, just tough weeks, everyone's yeah you every way trying to get you to do this that you can't be a hundred places at at the same time and he said doc don't change who you are so it's those moments that i do look back at those cards listen to patients and honestly sometimes you you gain a lot from just talking to people um just yes. hearing stories and just saying wow this is what this person's been through and this is what they're going through Yes, I think it just goes back to that whole idea of just the importance of relationship and connecting with people on so many different levels. Just as you were talking earlier about 
looking for a living kidney donor, you know, and kind of extending yourself or, you know, identifying that person who can be your champion, be your voice, you know, again, it's just, it's relationship, you know, it's community. And I think what you're saying speaks perfectly to that. Yeah, it's, it's just all a relationship and it's a relationship for me too. You know, the patients that know me well, you know, even when I, you know, even when it's a tough day, they'll say, Hey, kid from Brooklyn doesn't, doesn't put their head down. That's right. And I, I say, man, you know, like <laughs> that's, that's true. You know, um, <laughs> Hey, keep your head up, you know? Yeah. So it's, it's one of those things and it's all about, it's all about relationships. Yeah. Yeah. So what words of wisdom do you have for a young person who wants to pursue medicine um, and perhaps transplant? You know, I will tell them the same words given to me. One is that you can accomplish anything you set your mind to do. You can accomplish anything. I, I could tell you uh, my story is one where I never thought I would, I would even make it to this point. I was raised without my mom and dad. I was raised as a single child with my great aunt. I grew up in Brooklyn. We didn't have a lot of money. My grandmother was my great aunt. I call her my grandmother. My great aunt was a nurse's aide. I lived in a community. Now people will say, wow, you live in Brooklyn. Wow. That's, that's nice. You lived in Brooklyn. That's, that's, you know, that's upscale back then. He said not so much. There were, there were, there were gangs. There were, there were, there were, there were drugs. There was violence. One of the things that, that my grandmother always taught me was always keep your cool. And whenever it came down to those escalating moments, right? Um, I was always the guy that always kept it cool. But the, the one thing that I will say to anyone listening, there are, there are a few things that I believe in. Whatever you want to do, you can accomplish, but it requires passion. You have to really want to do it. You know, it's like basketball. Everyone's, oh, you're from Brooklyn. You can play basketball. Basketball wasn't my passion. I didn't really want to, I didn't go out there and, and shoot, you know, play till night and shoot a hundred <laughs> free throws. I, you know, my grandmother said to me, read a book. And when I got upset, I, I just kept reading books. And so you have to have passion. I, I, my passion developed after seeing someone do a transplant. That's what I want to do perseverance the word the the road to anything you want to accomplish medicine or the other is not going to be easy this is filled with ups and downs mm -hmm. but perseverance is, is key you just cannot give up you just can't if you really want to do this you can't give up and of course you have to dedicate yourself mm -hmm. and accept criticism i think that's always a hard one I was always told, I mean, from every step of the way, people told me, you don't strike me as a, a surgeon. I'm, I'm laid back. Mm -hmm. I don't, I, you know, I don't need to raise my voice. I've, I've never gotten upset in the OR. I mean, people could say to me, you know, he's pretty laid back in the OR because I've realized if you can't handle the situation, it's just a situation. You know, you're not upset with anybody. You just can't manage the situation. Right. So I've always believed in 
You just have to be willing to just give the extra mile mm-hmm. and you'll get there. It wasn't an easy road for me. I, I never, like I said to you, I was never the smartest kid in the class, mm. but I always felt that no one, no one could outwork me. Mm. Um, and I say to this day, no one, no one can really outwork me. That's the extra gear that I've always had. If I need to stay up, I'll stay up if I need, but I've never, you know, my grandmother always said, um, you know, I think, I think it's Thomas, I think it's Tom, Benjamin Franklin, Benjamin Franklin. She'd be, probably be upset. How do you not, not know who said this? You have enough time to rest when you're, when you're no longer here on this earth. So I've, I think he's quoted it. I have enough time to sleep when I die. Yeah. But I just, you just got to take every day, every moment and make it count. Be dedicated, perseverance and have the passion for it. And you'll accomplish everything you want to accomplish. And, wow. don't let anybody, and don't let anybody tell you you can't do it. Yeah. Um, and when people told said that to me, uh, unfortunately, it maybe it was that Michael Jordan saying you're not going to be good. That's when you got to put the extra mile, and and you just proved them wrong. I love that. That's a. I was listening to the interview about Tiger yesterday, and uh, one of the reporters said. Best thing you can tell Tiger is tell him he can't do something because then he he's going to come back and do it. So I, I think everything that you said is just such great advice and wisdom. And and to everyone on on who listening to this, who thinks, well, I'm different. I'm no different than you are. I didn't have a father figure. Like I said, I grew up with my grandmother. I grew up in Brooklyn. I didn't have a lot of money. I had no name shoes. I got made fun of. But, you know, the funny thing about it, now I go back to Brooklyn, the same guys that I grew up, now they see me and it's a different level of respect. Yeah. I think before, you know, again, I, I get it. I, sometimes I felt that I, I was, I was you, the, the people that got a lot of the respect in certain neighborhoods were the people who went to jail. Right. And... You know, it's funny that now I see these same these same people I grew up with and, you know, they look at me and, and they nod their head or, you know, when their kids are there and they're like, hey, dad, you know, do you know that guy? And, you know, they'll say, yeah, you, you got to be like him. You know, he yeah. was a, he was growing up with us and he just always kept, you know, he just always focused on school and right. this is who he is now. But you can do it and, and don't let anyone say you can't do it. That's right. Well, thank you so much. I do have one one question. So you're not from Cincinnati, but what's what is your family's or your favorite place to to eat here? I always like to do questions just so guests can get to know a little bit or listeners can get to little know a little bit more about our guests. Wow. That one's a tough one. Um <laughs> You can't say a chain like Chipotle or something. So, <laughs> no. so I will tell you, there are a few restaurants. I, I'm a foodie. I like to eat. I kind of thought you were being, being from Brooklyn, being yeah, from New Brooklyn. York. All right. So my favorite and all honesty, and I don't know why I'll, I'll tell you, I have a few. So I will tell you that as if I'm in the mood for eating eating steaks, any Jeff Ruby establishment, 
has always been my favorite and go-to, especially yeah. when they have the two for 99 special. <laughs> oh, that, that has been the best thing going. <laughs> it really has. Now, yeah. I, I love the red feather. Mm-hmm. Um, that's been one of my favorites uh, go-tos. I, I, I do like Soto. That I'll mm-hmm. say is up there as well. But, you know, my favorite, and, and I will tell you why, why it's my favorite, is a place in Rookwood called J. Alexander's or Red Lawn's Grill. Now, me too. That's my yeah. spot. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's bad when the staff, they know you by name. They know you they, by name. Yeah. Um, but there's lots of reasons for it. And, and I think <laughs> when I came here to Cincinnati, again, we go there a lot. But the reason why I like going there is because I remember there was a there was a honoring for um, black men in Cincinnati, and Dr. Chris Lewis mm-hmm. and think and Smitherman. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I don't not the not the Smitherman who's a council member, his brother. Um, oh, okay. Um, I want to say his name. I, I don't know Albert. If, Albert. Yeah, from uh, Justin. Yes. From Justin. Yeah. yeah. Albert and, and Liza. Uh, yeah. And afterwards, we were trying to find a place that we could all get together just to celebrate their accomplishments. And they held the rest. They held the bar open for us. Well, Albert is like the mayor of Jay Alexander's, in case you didn't know. <laughs> I get that now. Particularly. Particularly. But another reason is because I, every time on a Friday... That's the place where I probably see the most African-Americans and professional African-Americans. Yeah. And that, just the sight of that, to walk yeah. into some place, sit down and be across from, you know, Chris Lewis, Dr. Chris, Lu- Dr. Lewis, sorry, mm-hmm. Dr. Lewis, <laughs> and just a whole slew of other people that, that, that I don't know. That there's something to be said about that. Yeah. Um, so I will tell you on a Friday, I'm usually I usually try to make it to Jay Alexander's or Red Lawn's. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I do have a host. I I'll tell you, Cincinnati people people knock it back in New York, Cincinnati. Why are we going to go there? But it's unfortunately when you're here, there's a lot of great restaurants. Um, and there's a lot, many others that I, I probably didn't even mention or uh, not even think about the, you know, donuts. I mean, Holtzman donuts. <laughs> I, my wife would, my wife would probably, my wife better not be listening to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so that's where you, so that's where you're that's going. <laughs> well, you better be bringing some donuts home. I've got two girls. Yeah. From the time I walk in that house, they're like, <laughs> daddy, you know. <laughs> so, oh my God. No, but I, I, you know, and there's plenty of others. I like, yeah. I mean, I, I like, yeah. I like the scene. So Dr. Cuffey, thank you again for sitting down with me and talking just about all things, transplant, kidney, good food, all of it. You know, I appreciate <laughs> it. A couple of my takeaways from our, our talk today is, you know, that, that it sound advice 
from your grandmother. Don't let anyone change you and keep your cool. And also just whatever it is that you're pursuing, you know, you have to be passionate about it. Um, you have to persevere. You need to read and learn about it and be dedicated and accept criticism. And also don't let anyone tell you you can't do it. And so I think those are just, all of those are just such wise words coming from someone who has walked that walk and just you've accomplished so much. You really have. And, 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 and you know, just for everyone out there, you, we're always accomplishing right? We're always trying to accomplish more. And I, honestly, sometimes it's funny that I'm saying these things, but then I listen to you say it and I'm like, yeah, you know, don't let anybody tell you. So <laughs> I, 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 I do appreciate, you know, the time. Um, I do you. appreciate, you know, you know, taking the time to talk to you today, Andy. And, you know, obviously, you. As, as always keep, keep spreading the word, keep sharing the message. We will. And, um, keep 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 on keeping on as my grandma that's right yes yes as long as your feet hit the floor you just keep on keeping on <laughs> that's what my grandmother maybe it's a maybe it's just an old people say it is it is so well thank you and so as i close today i just want to remind everyone there are 107 1,910 men, women, and children in need of life-saving organ transplants in our country today. So what can you do to help? You can register to be an organ, eye, and tissue donor, or you can consider being a living kidney donor because the vast majority of those men, women, and children are in need of a life-saving kidney transplant. And you can also be a donor champion for someone in need of a transplant. So there's always something there that we can do to help other people. I want to thank you so much for listening. Please be kind to yourself and to others. Thank you. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Life Center. You have the potential to help save and enhance the lives of others, those who suffer from chronic illness or the effects of traumatic events. Statistics have shown that a new name is added to the national waiting list every 10 minutes. You have the opportunity to help others and save lives. You have the power to donate life. By designating your decision to become a donor, you have the opportunity to change the lives of many and save up to eight lives. Ohio, Kentucky, and Indiana say yes to donation by registering to become an organ, eye, or tissue donor today. Go to lifepassiton.org for more information. Thanks to LifeSetter for their continued support. Thank you for listening to This Thing Called Life. Subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your favorite podcast to make sure you get updates on all new episodes. And we would truly appreciate it if you would share, like, or give us a review to help us grow.